Welcome to Open Plaza Talks, created by the Hispanic Theological Initiative. Each episode, we focus on a topic that matters to you, whether you're on the field, the academy, or the clergy. In this episode of Open Plaza, Dr. Daniel Alshire talks to Dr. Justo Gonzalez about his new book, Beyond Profession, The Next Future of Theological Education. This episode of OP Talks is part of the Theological Education Between the Times series, an initiative out of HTI member school, Candler School of Theology, Emory University. For more information about today's episode, visit htiopenplaza.org. Uh, good day. Uh, bienvenidos, bienvenidas. Uh, welcome to this uh, a podcast of uh, HDI, uh, the Open Plaza. I, um, my name is Justo Gonzalez. I have been related with HDI for many, many years. And that's, one, that's been one of my joys of, of many that I have had. Another joy that I have today is to be with uh, Dr. Daniel Ashire, uh, whom I also have known for many, many years and with whom we have worked uh, uh, jointly closely quite a bit. Uh, so I am very glad to be with him, and we are to be discussing, among other things, mostly a book that he has written under the title Beyond Profession, The Next Future. It's a nice phrase, The Next Future of Theological Education. Dan, uh, welcome. Uh, let me just start by a question that everybody always asks me. Why did you write this book? And don't just tell me what I always tell, because I was asked to. <laughs> yeah. There was that, <laughs> um, you know, it's part of a series uh, of books trying to think about what the future of theological education might be. And the, and the name of the series is Theological Education Between the Times, because we seem to be clearly at the conclusion of one era of theological education, of work and ministry in the church, but the other era is not completely clear as to what it's going to be. And uh, so uh, this is my thought, uh, along with the thoughts of several others in other uh, books that are part of this series to think about what the, what the future issues might be in theological education. It is a great future and I commend the enti my entire series and I commend the entire series to our listeners, because they are, every book that I have seen of them is very much worth reading. And now, Dan, when you wrote this book, uh, it was uh, just before we came to face with the pandemic and uh, its consequences and its, its impact on the whole world, and obviously for that reason on theological education. Uh, how does that, uh, the experience of the pandemic, how does that uh, uh, in any way lead you to modify or, uh, or emphasize or somehow, uh, how would you have done the book differently uh, now? Um, you're right, Husto, I did, I did finish it just before the pandemic began mm -hmm. and it was published uh, after we hope, uh, after there was a vaccine and we hope that the pandemic is going to recede. And I've thought about that uh, in, in a couple of ways. One is um, that, that the pandemic has been like a rogue wave uh, 
washing up and doing a lot of damage. But but what really controls the oceans are the currents underneath. Mm -hmm. And I think this rogue wave is going to have some effect on theological education. It's always going to have more uh, distance learning uh, ways of, uh, of functioning uh, than it has had in the past. Um, it's going to be, it, it's, it's going to increase the amount of skills we expect of ministers, how to, how to do online worship uh, it, or how to augment when we return to in-person worship with the way it's, it's going to need to be because some people have gotten really comfortable going to church with coffee in their pajamas, mm -hmm. and uh, that may not change uh, quickly. But the current, which is where I'm focused in this book, that the current is that I think the goal of theological education needs to be redefined moving into the future. And, and that goal is not uh, that redefinition of goal is not a function of the rogue wave that has washed over us and, and, and done as much damage as it's done. Um, so I, I think that the way theological education is going to be done in the future is likely going to show permanent uh, effects of the pandemic, but, but the what theological education does, uh, I think is going to be less influenced by the, mm -hmm. uh, by the pandemic. It's more influenced by some other factors. One of the emphasis on your book, uh, uh, very, very clear, is the emphasis on uh, theological education as formation. And uh, that's one of the points at which I think uh, that many seminaries are now dealing with the difficulty of uh, uh, emphasizing formation at the same time that, that it is difficult to get people together. Because formation uh, is basically a relational thing. And, and, and I think of formational, yes, it is relational, uh, but it's also about what are we hoping will happen uh, in the lives of students as a consequence of being uh, either online or gathered together. And so what I mean by formational is that we're paying far more attention to issues of spiritual maturity, of moral maturity, uh, the kind of things that have always been part of theological education, but have tended to be more in the background uh, and, uh, or, or the assumption that people who make it to theological education must already have a spiritual and moral maturity and what they need is information and the development of skills and capacities. So I, I think that um, formation, formation's been sort of a magnet word. Uh, a lot of people are using it, but it attracts whatever meaning they want it to have. <laughs> um, we, we've not been very careful about assuming what formational theological education is. And so the argument I try to raise in this book is to say it's about certain goals uh, for theological education, and it's about the educational strategies those goals are going to require. And some of them can be met with more distance learning. Um, I'm 
I'm still I'm still an old-fashioned kind of guy, and I like theological education where people are in the same room together uh, and and can experience more than uh, the Zoom picture of one another uh, uh, in the context of a conversation. Uh, I I just watched the the movie The Last Blockbuster. Um, which is about the last outlet of the blockbuster video rental uh, 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 that are down to one store left uh, that still goes by the name blockbuster. And people were talking about what it was like to gather in, in you know, on a Friday, early on a Friday night with members of the family or your date and look at the videos that you might consider watching that night and a place to gather they talked of blockbuster video as if it were a theological school or a church, <laughs> uh, that, uh, that this was a place where there was community, that there was a physical object that you picked up and that you took home and that you had to return. And uh, I, I, I was streaming this uh, film uh, about the, the last blockbuster, which probably says something, but but the but the but the parallel to theological education as a gathering of people who are preparing for the most part for contexts in which people will be gathered and will do their work together. Mm-hmm. So I I I don't think that formational theological education is antithetical to distance learning models, but they're not going to be enough. And and what good distance learning models do is embed people even more into communities of faith. So it's not that they're not connected to anybody, it just changes uh, the primary uh, area in which they are connected. That's good. Um, Now, uh, as you know, the the word formation has been a byword of much of uh, Catholic theological education for a long, long time. And I wonder if you'd like to say a word about how what you're saying is different than what was being said, let's say, uh, 20, 30 years ago about formation in Catholic seminaries. Um, I think Protestants have a lot to learn from the way Roman Catholics have educated priests and lay ministers that's a formational model, particularly their attention to human formation and spiritual formation. And they spend a lot of money on those two issues in terms of providing persons to work with students on both who they are as human beings and how they're put together and what that means in the practices of ministry and what it means to be a lover of God and the ways of God. There was another part of formation in in Roman Catholic uh, theological education as I saw it as a Protestant And that was a sort of a socialization. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is a hierarchical church structure. And so you spend a lot of time socializing persons to how they're going to function in this hierarchical uh, unitary church structure. That's not what I really mean by formation. In fact, uh, there's always been a part of professional socialization in Protestant theological education. Uh, people learn the ways of being ministers in their denomination, uh, uh, for example, and what you do and what you don't do and uh, what the equivalent of, of street smarts is 
uh, for the work in a particular kind of denomination, a particular uh, kind of way of being Christian. What Protestants could learn from uh, Roman Catholics are paying more attention to, to what's the character of human formation because we do ministry out of who we are as human beings. And what does it mean to have a kind of spirituality that's not just a pattern of piety, but that is somehow a deep relationship with God that grows and changes over the context of doing ministry. I, I, I think that I think that the negative side that was associated with, with a form of Roman Catholic formational theological education was uh, a sense of it was molding persons into something the church wanted them to be, whether that was necessarily good or not. I think the church has learned an awful lot about who it, who it wants its priests to be since 1990 and since the, uh, the crisis of, of clerical abuse and some other things that relate very clearly to, to, to moral and uh, human capacities and abilities and worries. So formational theological education for me is looking uh, for all of theological education in part the way Roman Catholics did at one time uh, or do now in particular, and the amount of educational resource it takes um, to attend to human qualities and spiritual qualities that are not just academic classroom qualities. Yes, that's very good. Let me change the subject a little bit, sure. somewhat radically perhaps. Uh, on the subject of the, the trends in the registration of students, in the, in the, the per profile of students in theological schools, uh, there, there are two things that are connected but different. One has to do with the, with the ethnic and cultural difference of, uh, of, the, of the profile of the students in seminaries today. Uh, and the other has to do with what seems to me a great growth in the number of students uh, whose churches do not require a theological education in order to be ordained and who, however, are coming to uh, institutions belonging to more traditional churches that demand the theological education and how that's impacting the whole picture. So why don't we talk a little bit first about the question of people of color or, or ethnic minorities and so on and how that impacts the new future that you are seeing before us. When I joined the staff of the Association of Theological Schools in 1990, about 20% of the students were racial ethnic students, were, were students of color, um, indigenous, Asian, uh, Hispanic, Latino, uh, African descent. Uh, when I left, ATS in 2017, they were almost 40% of the student body. Um, people have talked about the decline of enrollment in ATS schools, which appears to have stabilized, but that decline would have been much greater had it not been for the increase across these 30 years excuse me, of, of the number uh, of the percentage of students who were students of, who are students of color. And the same thing is true for American religion. 
uh, we're witnessing a decline in overall membership. If that membership were only for white Americans, the decline would be far greater than it is because uh, African-American, Hispanic, Asian communities are as a percentage of their racial constituency, their racial ethnic constituency, they're more religiously active than white folk are. Mm -hmm. So uh, communities of color are changing, uh, not only the, the character of theological education, but the character of the way Christianity is practiced in the United States. And that's only going to increase um, uh, because we're, we're dealing with the cultural crisis of some white people realizing that we're 20 years from majority of persons of color uh, rather than a majority of, of white persons. And uh, giving up privilege is something that seems to be accompanied with violence wherever it happens. And we're seeing some of that in our culture now, sadly. Um, what, I, what I think Husto is that the first response of theological schools to communities of color was the importance of inclusion. Mm -hmm. uh, so everybody is welcome here, and then we will educate them just the way we always have the folks who've always come. Mm -hmm. and, and the change over these last 30 years has been schools beginning to realize that, uh, that these, these students are not just incorporated in an ongoing enterprise, but they are, uh, they are contributing to the change of that enterprise. Um, most students of color who've come to ATS schools are already bicultural. They couldn't have survived in most schools if they weren't bicultural. Mm -hmm. Most white students in ATS schools, if they're going to be effective ministers in the future are gonna to have to be bicultural, if not multicultural because that's where the population is going. And so the capacity of cultural competence um, is an important thing. I, the other way is how, you know, how scripture is, is interpreted and read. I was sitting in the back of a room visiting uh, a, a, a predominantly white mainline Protestant theological school uh, in which the faculty was interviewing uh, a candidate of color uh, for, uh, for a new faculty position. And uh, some of the questions were right on, some of the questions were not so right on for that individual who was African-American, at least questions in my judgment. But, but one of the things that that person said has stayed with me ever since. And he, he told the story, he grew up, in a, in, in a low-income family that had one insurance policy and the insurance man who came at once a month knowing what a uh, payday was to collect the premium for that insurance policy. Mm -hmm. And he would come at dinner time and they would be around the kitchen table and he would come to the back door and he would just open the door and greet folks and everybody knew it was time to pay the the, the insurance premium. And, and that person said, so when I come to the text in Revelation, where it says Jesus knocks, you have to understand how I hear that differently. <laughs> that Jesus knocks uh, to ask permission to enter, 
doesn't just enter uh, as if my space were somehow uh, his space as well. And, and you know, we, there are hundreds of stories like that, that having heard the scripture in communities of color in, in different ethnic contexts, um, we now have a much broader canvas on which to interpret our interpretation, to, 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 to uh, grant our interpretations uh, of scripture. So it's what we teach, it's how we listen. Um, I went to seminary and didn't have a single professor of color. I never sat under the authority of a professor who, who had a skin color different than mine. Now, most students in ATS schools cannot, cannot navigate the curriculum without sitting under the authority of a professor of color. Mm -hmm. And I think that is hugely important for white people. Um, it, it changes perceptions, it changes. And, and then the close connection with other students. Well, I could go on and on. Um, but I, you know, if, if, if the American church can finally get race and ethnicity right and faithfully, which it has not done for the most part, it will carve a future for itself. If it fails uh, to deal effectively with race and ethnicity, then it will become a museum piece uh, by the end of this of this century. Yes, um, just a little footnote here. I, I know I have noticed. I work with many different denominations, and I noticed that some of the denominations that have traditionally been mo most known as ethnic denominations are more open than some of the ones that have traditionally considered themselves more open and more liberal, and so on, because they know that they have a problem. And very often what happens is the churches that don't know that they have a problem have a bigger problem. Yeah. Uh, and, and sometimes, you know, that some of the American denominations that are absolutely the whitest have the most elegant rhetoric about race and ethnicity. Yes. And some of the other denominations that are most racially mixed don't have as much rhetoric. They just are trying to get the work done with all the people that are showing up in their midst. And, and doing the work of ministry. You mentioned another thing that I just wanted to comment briefly on Gusto, and, and that was that the growth in American Christianity has been in communities of faith uh, where uh, theological education is not a requirement yes. for ordination. That was my next question. Oh. <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, and, and I think that, you know, I taught for 12 years in a seminary that was related to a denomination that did not have educational requirements for ordination. Mm -hmm. And uh, about half of the pastors in that denomination actually had a seminary education. The other half had a baccalaureate education or something else or uh, no, no education for ministry at all. And it was always a task, I think, to say that, that ministry can be enhanced by advanced learning. It can be made more effective and faithful 
by advanced learning. But <clears throat> the gifts of God come to the people of God in more than one way. Um, I, I, another, I mean, there's so few organizations related to the Hispanic, Latino, Latina community, Justo, that you haven't helped start. <laughs> and I was working on something for AS, um, uh, which, which extends theological education to a lot of people who don't have college degrees, to people who don't have high school diplomas, and who in their context and in, with the learning that they're able to get in a, in a church basement instituto, uh, do a better job on the weekend than they would otherwise be doing uh, because they have learned. And if we could think of theological education as the accompaniment for ministry rather than the requirement for entrance to ministry. Um, ministry is changing so fast that if all I had, if I were going to be a congregational minister today and all I had was my MDiv from 1973, I wouldn't have nearly what it would be necessary to be effective in that context. I marvel at what pastors are able to do now. And I marvel when I look at some curricula to see how much it's changed and shifted. Well, it's going to be different 30 years from now or 40 years from now or 50 years from now. So if we, if we think of ministry, we think of theological education more as the accompanying partner in the work of ministry over time. Um, and we can get larger doses of, doses of it at one time or the other. But um, we, we don't run out of the need to, con to continue to learn theological. Some years ago, I was in. I was part of a board of a seminary, and I suggested that instead of giving a permanent degree, we should give a degree that's good for five years, and then something had to be done after that. Needless to say, that didn't fly. <laughs> but, but, um, you know, I, my old computer finally died, and I just bought a new computer and asked uh, my co former colleague from ATS to. Uh, to help me uh, get it going and to bring the files from the old one to the new one. And, and I, I discovered that instead of buying a Microsoft package uh, for a certain amount, and then it's there on my computer, that basically what you do now is rent the Microsoft package with an annual subscription. And it's always updated. It's always moved forward. And Microsoft is going to make three times as much money from me as it would if I had a product to buy. And, and maybe Microsoft knows something, uh, not just about making money, but about, uh, about what it means to be uh, uh, updating and learning and not assume that you get a big hunk of theological education that you need to have a continuing education every, for a week, a year, but that we need to structure our lives in ways that pay attention to the ongoing changes um, that occur. Yes. Um, on, on the question of the, the changing uh, profile and the question of uh, people coming to uh, traditional seminaries uh, who come from churches and denominations that don't require that, and, and many of them who have been in ministry, active full-time ministry for 15, 20 years, 
Uh, you, is your impression that most seminaries are taking that into account or are they simply adding these different students to the same old curriculum? Um, a little of both. How's that for equivocating? <laughs> um, uh, they're, they're, they are accommodating uh, to the knowledge that students are bringing. They're still assuming that they're the guardians of the real knowledge. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so the students need to figure out what it is they have to say. Uh, one of the advantages uh, of distance learning models, I think, is that they do have a way of taking more advantage of what students already know. Uh, just the way that kind of education does, the, the way that uh, the other the other thing that's happening is a lot of focus these days on, on congregational-based theological education, enhanced contextual theological education. Well, that expands. If you take the context seriously, then you have to assume that context has something to say. Yeah. It is a source of wisdom. Uh, it's not just the books that are the source of wisdom. That experience is a source of wisdom. And if you start taking that more seriously in theological education, then you do change it a little bit. And you, uh, but, but it still leans in the direction of um, uh, the, the seminary is like the library and the information is here in this room, uh, when in fact the information is everywhere now, uh, not just in the library. And, but some schools are getting pretty good at learning how to take advantage of that and how to, how to enhance that kind of learning. Um, that leads me, leads me to um, another issue. Uh, as you know, I have always been, at least for a long time, be very much concerned of the, about the entire spectrum of theological education, insisting that theological education really is not just graduate theological education, but it really begins with the catechism, right? It begins with preparation of baptism. It goes on and it continues throughout life. And uh, many of the things that you say about the goals of theological education uh, of the type that you're discussing in your book, which is essentially graduate theological education, um, most of those should be the objectives of a church in its own educational program of a local church, of, of any congregation, of any faith group. Um, uh, do you see uh, that continuum developing more now than it was in the past, uh, precisely because of that emphasis on contextual education? I, I think I, I'm, I'm very much in agreement with you that theological education exists throughout the lifespan of the person who would seek to be a Christian believer. And that theological education for persons who would lead communities of faith um, isn't necessarily about a different set of things. It's about a different way of looking at the same set of things. Mm -hmm. um, it is about cultivating patterns of maturity. Um, it is about uh, cultivating uh, the kind of knowledge on the one hand that helps them teach others about the knowledge they should be acquiring. 
Um, it is it is not that the minister uh, needs to be more holy or more human um, or even necessarily more skilled at certain things, but the minister needs to be increasingly holy, <laughs> uh, increasingly uh, skilled, and increasingly knowledgeable. And, um, you know, that, that helps. That's why uh, some uh, pastors of storefront churches in, in stressed uh, communities are in institutos uh, to learn how to work with those communities and help them be the people of God they perceive that they are being called to be. So, uh, no, um, we study the Bible our whole lives. Uh, it, we, we, we seek to understand, we read, um, we, we pay attention to the work of others and to the experiences of others. And there is a kind of wisdom that accrues to that. Um, and that wisdom can come in more than one way, but one of the ways in which it can come is through uh, formational theological education. Um, and um, I think that um, I think that the, the issue is really an important one you raised to. In fact, it's part of the why the book title begins with what it does. The beyond profession has two meanings. One is it, it's, it's what's beyond for the person who professes faith uh, in order to be a leader of people of faith. And then the other is it's sort of saying that the professional model of theological education that I was educated in has really come to its end and we need a, we need a new form that emerges. So it speaks to your question. Let me take a question to the other end. Uh, the people who are trained to teach in graduate theological education. Um, one of the problems I encounter very often is the enormous pressure beginning in graduate school, but then also in many institutions themselves uh, for a type of uh, a focus of, of a person's vocation that uh, doesn't take into account a whole lot of what you're talking about, about uh, a formation and so on. It's, it's much more the library uh, image that you're talking about. And it's, it's difficult because many of the graduate programs in religion are training people who are going to be doing two basically different things. Uh, some are going to be in a, a state institution where you have to teach uh, religion, let's say objectively, if that word is good, and then uh, some others are going to be teaching uh, in what uh, the type of school that you're writing about. Uh, uh, and how, I, I think this is an important question, especially since this, is, uh, this program is uh, sponsored by HTI and HTI is precisely working on at that level of, uh, of graduate theological education. Uh, what do you see as, as the, the possibilities of, of uh, giving new shape to that graduate theological education so that people, at least some people, are better prepared to do the kind of education that you're writing about. Um, we gave a lot of thought to that question uh, in the programming, excuse me, at, at ATS over the years. Um, 
here's the conclusion I came to, uh, Husto, and, and that is in much of university-related theological studies, um, there are too many vectors of control to think it can be readily changed. If it's in the research university, the faculty are accountable for the generation of new knowledge uh, in order to advance um, the, the theological school is expected to contribute to the university's mission of contributing new knowledge. And, and um, uh, that is a, uh, that's a, that's a viable and needed thing for part of higher education. Uh, but it, it, and it leads PhD education into uh, a kind of uh, ghetto of learning new information or, or acquiring the discipline. But, but an individual needs a discipline to teach. They, they need to know what the New Testament is and what it says and, and um, how it is studied and how it has been interpreted through the centuries. I, I think that um, the PhD education that's probably more can be more readily influenced is the PhD education that's in theological schools mm -hmm. uh, rather than the PhD education that's in, um, you know, departments of, of uh, religion in graduate theological education. What I think um, it, it is, it becomes very necessary is for the continuing education of faculty trained in these wonderful PhD research programs that now have a content specialty to learn what it means to teach people who are gonna get in a pulpit on Sunday and say, this stuff you can bet your life on. Mm -hmm. That is a different kind of task than saying, this is one way to look at a possible subject area. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, and, and that ultimately theological education is nurturing persons toward making meaningful truth claims about what is the most important and critical as aspects of life itself. And, and so that's, that's the professor learning what these students have to do and then imagining how does my discipline that I now know well from my research education, um, how does it contribute to and fit into that? I, 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 um, I had a conversation one time with a new um, professor at ATS did an annual meeting for faculty new to theological schools. The dean sent them to this ATS meeting. And, and as you can imagine, all of them we talked to were excited that they had a job uh, in this, this last decade where teaching jobs have been harder to come by. But I was talking to this one person who was so pleased because the person was in a New Testament department with three others. So this person could focus on the Pauline corpus which is where the, this person had done uh, research and written a dissertation and had focused in graduate school. And, 
and I was pleased with the excitement of being able to focus on the Pauline corpus. But then I thought to myself later after this conversation, no pastor is going to be able to get by with only the Pauline corpus. <laughs> so somehow there's got to be a sense of how this relates to the New Testament, how this relates to Hebrew scripture, Old Testament, how this relates to the lived experience of Christians that are coming on Sunday to try to figure out how to get through the week. Um, and, um, and so I, I probably, I worry as much about the kind of current intellectual moment that seems to be suspicious of the grand narrative when in fact, Christianity is a grand narrative. And it makes sense, it makes, for me, it's best sense when it's understood in this broad narrative framework. Uh, so I don't mind them having a paragraph. I want them to know what the story is about and how that paragraph fits into the story and not to assume their paragraph is the story. Uh, let me tell you, some years ago, I was teaching in a school and one of the requirements we had was uh, an integration, an integration at the end that every student had to do. And I had a question, one of those papers, somebody had written something about the New Testament that I thought was questionable. And I went across the hallway and talked to a colleague in Old Testament, what do you think about this? And he looked at it and said, I don't know why you ask the New Testament professor. <laughs> and we were asking for you have to integrate. So. Yeah, and, and what I think is we've had a system of theological education where we assume that the faculty have their specialties and they're responsible for exposing students to all of their specialties and the students responsible for integrating. Yes. I don't think that, I think that the, the, the content specialists have to teach uh, how they're how their part is integrated to other parts. Um, and, and they still teach their part, but it should not be the student's responsibility to do all of the integration. Yeah, yeah. It's the responsibility of the curriculum. It's the responsibility of the faculty who are ensuring whether or not the goals of the curriculum have been attained or not uh, in, with the student, so. One final question, Dan. <laughs> Was there anything you expected me to ask that, you, that I haven't asked? <laughs> um, we've had so many conversations over the years who stole uh, uh, from uh, seminary conference rooms to over Cuban sandwiches uh, in, in Atlanta that I pretty well imagine that um, uh, you're going to ask anything you feel like asking. <laughs> um, and you know theological education. You, you have, you know, one of the few books that kind of looks at theological education from antiquity to the present uh, and does it in a way that's accessible for people who, are, who, are, who need to be informed by history but aren't historians. And, um, you know, I, I think that I came to the end of this project uh, feeling very hopeful about theological education. Um, and not so much feeling that it has failed in the past, but that the future requires different kind of effort than the past has required. And hopeful that the schools are smart enough to think educationally about that 
And that's the story of what you've been doing uh, in, in helping to get organizations started to meet particular needs and then grow uh, to their maturity. And so uh, I, I had low expectations about what you might ask because I thought it could be about anything. Well, <laughs> uh, I, knew, I knew I could ask anything because you could answer anything. <laughs> <laughs> you ask good questions for which I'm grateful. Well, uh, let me tell you, at the end of your book, you talk about perhaps this being the musings of an old man. And uh, after I, I was saying earlier, I was telling you that when I read that, I went back and looked at the beginning of the book and I found that uh, the year you entered the seminary, I began my eighth year of teaching in seminary. <laughs> so if you're an old man, I don't know what I am. <laughs> it's well, a pleasure to see you again, Dad. It's great to talk with you. And whatever you are, you're a wise man, Husto, for whom I'm deeply grateful for your many contributions to me and to the broad community of theological schools. And thank you for the support that you have offered through the year to minority communities and uh, people who really have traditionally been left out of the establishment of theological education. Thank you. Welcome. Thank you. This has been an HTI production. For more information, visit us at htiopenplaza.org. The Hispanic Theological Initiative provides Open Plaza as a public service. The views expressed by the guests are their own. Their appearance on this program or any reference to a specific product or entity they represent does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by HTI.